faith, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ being a point of contact with God. So our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ being a point of contact with God. So we live in, in, in a world that either embraces that there is a, a God or just like not there isn't. And through what's been going on, I really believe there's almost like a, a shaking up to recognize, okay, there has to be something bigger than me. There's got to be something that, that has to make sense in this pure chaos. And so we are beginning to go a little bit deeper in the Word of God and to, to come to a greater reality of what we believe, uh, of who God is and who we are now as Christians. And so the message today is really that we now, through the Lord Jesus Christ, when He, when he walked earth and He died for us, um, went down to the pit of hell for three days and was raised again, that we call the resurrection, and he ascended and sat at the right hand of God the Father. That now we as believers, when we recognize the truth of that message that we call the gospel, that's what I just said, the gospel, is that Jesus came and he died for us and he was raised again to life. That at that moment, when we have a perception, gee, this, this, this suddenly makes sense. What didn't make sense in my head suddenly is landing in me like, Wow, could it be so? And at that moment, the Holy Spirit is working in us and faith is being birthed in our hearts. Faith to believe something that our mind can't conceive. So now we start living life with this new expression inside of us called faith. Faith, faith believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Faith believing that he was raised again. And when we read, especially the book of Ephesians in the, in the New Testament, the epistles that we recognize that as he walked earth, now we as Christians, we walk earth as well in the same manner, and that we are given attributes that are really divine because of this new birth. The new birth meaning is coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. So when I receive the faith of God to believe on Jesus, I'm born again, and when I become born again, a brand new life starts living inside of me which is the Christ life. The Christ life, which is not of what I'm familiar with in the natural realm, meaning I still have a body, I still walk or but suddenly my persuasion, the way I start looking at things changes. And so I almost get a new set of eyes, the eyes of faith. And so the focus of the message today is faith, that which we believe, that which we're persuaded of, and that by which we, we, we express our devotion to God is really our point of contact. So how do I know God? How do I touch God? How do I receive from God? Is it a natural touch? It is truly this faith within us. The faith, the faith of the believer is the point of contact with God. And it gives us a, can I say, tangibility. I look at the word tangibility and that's, the quality of being perceivable by touch, uh, real or actual rather than imaginable or visionary, definite, not vague or elusive. So the persuasion, and the greater the persuasion within us, of course we know that faith comes by the hearing of the word of God. So when we read the Bible, when we have a constant habit, a habitual 
time in reading the word, this persuasion gets stronger. The same as anything in life, any ideology, when you submit to it, how do you submit to a teaching? Whether it be in school, whether it be social media, whether it be on TV, you submit by listening to it. And the more you listen to it, the more persuaded you come of it. Well, that, that is really how God does it. That's just how we all function. And so this persuasion in the Christian life is called faith. And, and, and faith is actually almost like the tangible expression of me and God being one. So that the very fact that I believe I'm making contact with an invisible reality. And now I'm living life from this place of invisible reality. And yet someone can look at my life and it be very visible. So it will be a man of life that um, will be led toward persuasion. So we're going to look at um, the book of Luke. We're going to start with the book. Actually, before we go to the book of Luke, I will, I will look at the last few uh, services we've been looking at uh, the fight of faith. But this persuasion that I just so briefly touched on is very contented. It's not something that um, is a walk in the park. It's not something that it comes very easy to my natural man, because whether it be through my mind, whether it will be pierced, whether it will be just spiritual opposition, there will always be something from the outside negating that which I believe on the inside. And so we call that the Bible, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul in the book of Timothy calls that the good fight of faith. We're now to war wage warfare, so to say. And the warfare is really in our mind. It's a stilling, it's a stilling of the doubt and the unbelief and taking it captive and allowing the assurance of my faith to communicate to me reality. So that moment I'm laying hold, it's not fighting with another. It's not sitting down with my friend and, 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 and trying to persuade her and, and, and beat her with words and tell her how wrong she is in her persuasion that's coming against my persuasion. It's not about that. It's, it's really a, a moment where you internally come to a state of trust. This is truth. And this truth is the motivator and the anchor of my life. And it brings forth a stability to walk out something that really right now is very unstable and very shaky. So we can be unshakable in the midst of the storm. And so we looked at just to, I'll just look at two verses, kind of like a recap of where we have been. Uh, Timothy 1, 6, 12, is it? Yeah. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. So we've been focusing that the laying hold on eternal life, it's really like a seizing of, of I believe this. I believe it. It's laying hold of an invisible moment and it becoming so real to me that now it becomes the force of my life, which is the force of faith. So we can say that the fight of faith is um, maintaining of a strong grip on that which we believe. And so that which we believe now becomes firm and established and is a dominator to everything that is not firm and established. And we can see just just watching through media, how one day it's this way, next day it's that way, and then, and then you're like, okay, so if we look over the last six months, the course of events, uh, this contradicts that, 
and that contradicts the midpoint. And so at that moment, it can create a major confusion. And so the firmness and stability of the holding of faith is really what is coming against all outer instability. And so now I'm living life from an inside persuasion. I'm living life no longer um, um, spectating for an answer, but I now have the answer. And when the greater the persuasion of this answer that we call faith, the greater the walk is on earth, and then we can provide solace to another. So no longer is this peace just working for me and my household, but now from this place of persuasion, this place of peace, I can be an anchor and an assurance to another. But as long as there's instability and we're not laying hold firmly, as long as there is instability and warring within us, we're really tipsy-turvy. Yeah. <laughs> we are, I'm learning English as well. <laughs> we, are, we are being easily maneuvered away from the solid rock that is Jesus Christ. And so we have been the last few services talking about laying hold of contending for this faith because in light of what we're going to hear today, faith is my contact with God. And if that is not solid, I'm on my own. I'm on the high seas of a turbulent ocean on my own. But when I'm firmly established in that which I believe, when my persuasion is, has surpassed everything on the outside, at that moment, I become the rock that I stand. And so this is what the messages are about. Um, when you can go to the book of Hebrews, another verse we looked at is Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast, and that fast is um, resolutely, firmly, the confession of our hope without wavering. And you look at this one that as long as we have a firm grip on that which we believe, we're stable, we'll never waver. And so from here, let's go to Luke 8. Actually, I'll look at um, the story that I'm going to read is in the New Testament, in the Gospels. And three of the Gospels uh, write about it, and we call it the woman with the issue of blood. So it's a healing of the woman with the issue of blood. The first one is in Matthew 9, 20. And suddenly, a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind. Came from behind. Even that is pretty profound and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. If, so, so faith moved her and persuaded her, if I touch that outer garment of Jesus, who I have heard goes about healing people, and I've had this ailment for 12 years, surely if I touch the hem of that Healer, I'll be restored if I could only touch. But there's an issue. There's a crowd. She's, she's in a wicked state. She's bed for 12 years. And so she's pressing through a crowd. I look at the other uh, Gospels to give it a, a, a greater picture. But in Matthew, it's the briefest version of it. So we're going to start here. So she said, if I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith 
has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. So now we're going to go to Mark, a little bit more of an explanation on the story. Verse 24, Mark 5, 24. So Jesus went with him, with Jairus, who was the ruler of the synagogue, and a great multitude followed him, followed Jesus, and thronged him. They were, they were crowding around about him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all she had, was no better, but rather grew worse. And that's what happens in the world. We exhaust all. It's like we, we start exhausting every opportunity from getting well, and in the process, we, we deplete our resources, we deplete our strength, we deplete our hope, and we come to this place of desperation with no hope, no help. And that's where she was. She, she, she did not get any better. She grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power, that word power is, is dunamis. We've looked at this um, word before in the Greek language. It's dunamis. It is miraculous power. It's miraculous might. It's the God kind of power. It's not natural power. It's a miracle working power that had gone out of him, had gone out of Jesus, and turning around in the crowd, he said, who touched me? Who touched my clothes? Isn't it amazing? But that persuasion that we call faith so moved this weakened woman to, to in the midst of a huge crowd, to make her way to the one that she believed could heal her. And that she could touch him beyond the way the crowd was touching him. So much so that she touched him with that inward persuasion of faith and he felt it. And that connection that came through that physical touch was a divine touch. A touch by which he touched the master. So how we approach God is by faith. How we come to him is not grasping with our natural man. It's through a persuasion of a contact with him through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know at that moment you had perfect contact. What's amazing? Who touched my clothes? Jesus said. And I looked up some of the Old Testament references to the clothes of God. Psalm 93 1. So, of course, you know, Jesus is God. And the plan of salvation is that God sent his son on earth to die for us so we can now be reconciled to God. So, when Jesus walked earth, he walked earth as man, and yet he was fully God because that was really God walking earth. And so, in Psalm 93, 1, the Lord reigns, he is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed, he has girded himself with strength. He has girded himself with strength. Psalm, Psalm 104 is similar. 
Bless the Lord, all my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty who cover yourself with light as with a garment. So when Jesus said, who touched my clothes, it's like God saying, who touched my light? Who touched my garment of glory? See, he's clothed with the healing virtue that's coming from God is all over God. And so when she made a point of contact with God by, by making way through the crowd, she touched the very garments of glory. And she immediately was healed. Go back to Mark. And so then, the, so he said, he, Jesus said, so who, he turns around and says, who touched, who touched my clothes? And the disciples, those around him, said to him, you see the multitude thronging you, and you say, who touched me? You can just say, like, what do you mean, Jesus? Look, everyone's like pushing himself in you. What do you mean, who touched you? He looked around to see her who had done this thing. It seems when you approach God, it's like you've done something. It's never left un un unnoticed. It is never in vain, and it's never futile. When we approach God by faith, which is the point of contact with God, it is never left unnoticed by God. So, um, but the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him, before Jesus, and told him the whole truth. And look what Jesus says. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed in your affliction. Isn't it amazing? God that knows all things could have said, my clothing that you touched made you well. My divinity that you touched made you well. But what does he say made her well? Your faith made you well. It's your motion towards me when you believe that's what makes you well. See, God is able. God is, we're going to look at some more verses here. God's ability is unlimited. But what limits him, if we can say, and it is the truth, is our ability to believe him and to press towards him with a pure persuasion, a pure devotion that, Lord, only you have my answer. Lord, only you are my wholeness. And I am believing you for everything. And that is what we call faith. And that faith touches him. And that's what brings forth wholeness in our life. Let's go to Luke. Luke is the third gospel that writes this account. And Luke was a physician, so he will be a little bit more detailed. So it's the same story, a little bit with more elaboration. So I'm going to go a little bit deeper even in my, in my elaboration. So here we go. It's Luke 8, 42. For he, that's Jesus, had, oh no, that's Jairus. Sorry, we're talking about Jairus again, the ruler of the synagogue. They just come to Jesus right before this story and asked him for his help. So Jesus is on the way to Jairus' house to heal his own personal daughter. So the way of Jesus going to heal someone is this woman coming. Is this woman. But as he went, as Jesus went, of course, towards that house to heal the little girl, 
the marches throne thronged him. And I love that word. I actually got to look it up in the in the Greek dictionary. That as Jesus went, the marches thronged him. And that word throng is to choke as weeds do plants. That word throng is like as as so there was such a pressure around about Jesus the way weeds would do to Jesus. Were they in faith? Were those in faith? They were not in faith. The only one in that crowd that we have an account of that received anything from Jesus was that weakened woman that the only thing going for her was a persuasion. Was a persuasion. If I, I've heard that he is a healer. I've heard of Jesus. And suddenly, through the hearing of that statement, there is a faith that's being birthed in her heart that is beginning to move her weakened body to press through a crowd that is so tightly thick around Jesus, impenetrably the way weeds around the plant, choking, choking. I looked at that word, it's pretty amazing. It's to choke utterly as weeds do plants, to crowd upon, to press in, because some translations say that Jesus. That, that, that she was found in the press. Uh, she was found in this crowd that was pressing against Jesus. Another explanation of this word, to press in and to choke, uh, it's a help study, so it just gives you a better understanding of the word, is uh, this word in Greek is sin, nigo, operates in people having wrong identifications. Aligning with sin. So wrong persuasions, wrong ideas of who they are, wrong understandings of reality. Doing this, uh, being moved through these wrong identifications, it cuts a person off from Christ's provision, which is his life supply, and leaves them inoperable, spiritually suffocated. So it's almost like that the crowd was doing the very thing that they were undergoing. They were crowding him out the way their life was crowded out. As they were spiritually suffocated, they were doing the same spiritual suffocation around Jesus. And so the state of our mind, the way we approach God, is very important. So if he is crowded out in our perceptions, on a regular basis, we are not like the woman with the issue of blood where her soul intent and her soul motivation, her soul purpose, she recognized her only life was in him. And he alone was her very life. And if she could touch him, which she did, through faith, then life was working in her body. That word is actually used in the parables of um, in this parable of the, of, of the good soil. So Jesus gives a, a story and gives four different grounds. And the human heart is like these four different grounds. Um, and that's being look, look eight, you can go and, and read by yourself. But one of those grounds is, and so he said, so what happens is the hearts of men are like four different grounds. And here is a sower, which is really God sowing the word of God in this field. And this field is made of four different grounds. And so where the seed falls on them, 
will determine, or how, as the seed falls on the ground, and depending on the ground, it will determine how that seed will grow. And so the, the power of one's life is not so much the seed that's coming in, it's the ground that you are to produce the seed. And so when we're hearing the word of God, which is the seed of the word of God, this is, this is the seed of God. What determines the growth of this word, though this word is imperishable, is the state of our heart. And one of those states is here, is, is in Luke 8, 14. The one of the places the seed fell is among thorns. And so, now the ones that fell among, among the thorns are those that when they hear the word of God, they go out and are choked, and they're choked, they're choked with cares, riches, and the pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. So the choking, those people that were crowding around Jesus were really themselves choked with cares, with desire for riches, you know, that, that, that greedy ambition, pleasures for life, and that kind of a ground brings no fruit. And so, and yet the woman that was the most destitute of them all had nothing. She spent all her money on all the physicians and she grew not, not, not much better. She grew worse, actually. But she had something that was precious to God. She had a ground that was not obstructed by thorns. She had a ground, she had a heart that, 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 that was not shallow. She had a ground that was fertile. She had a ground that was believing. She had a heart of faith. And through that heart of faith, she made a connection pure. So what happened when she touched Jesus, who is really the living word of God, that word could grow in her and bring forth the maturity of healing. And so this message is that we, the success of the God work in our life is not so much dependent on God as it is dependent on us. And that is, in light of everything we've spoken until now, is engaging the inner working of the Spirit, is engaging faith to have a persuasion that would move us in life and through life to know we're in constant contact and contact and communion with God. And through this communion with God, we are receiving everything that we need for life on earth. We're receiving everything that we need to be whole. Go back to look, look, um, the story of the woman. So she was the mother of strong in Jesus. Verse 43, 8, 43. Now a woman having flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her life with her on physicians. She was, she was done. Could not be healed by any. Came from behind, touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. Look what Jesus says. He says, of course, could touch me, but they are after. In this translation, in the New Living, it says that she, someone deliberately touched me for I felt healing power go out from me. Verse 46 here, someone touched me for I perceived power went. And so this, this contact that we have with God um, by faith is a deliberate touch. It, it's not haphazard. It again goes back to the messages we've spoken. Be deliberate. Be, be resolute and be firm and be fully assured in that which you believe. Because that assurance and the firmness of what you believe is really your deliberation with God. And only then can you receive from God. When you have a level of persuasion in you that he has my answer 
and he alone has my answer. And now I'm persuaded that through my communion with him, through my communion with him, I'm receiving it. And it's by faith. And the way she did not see anything in the natural when she was moving towards the Lord, she really had no, no sense. Obviously, she was still very weak, but she still moved towards him. And there are some times in life where really on the outside, and pretty much always, nothing validates our walk with God or walk towards God. But when she made the contact, she immediately knew. She had a persuasion, and she knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he, right now, I received from him, and I've been made whole. And not only did she know that she'd been made whole, but God knew that she was made whole. It's even neat to even say that God knew because God, God knows all things. And yet here in this moment, he said, who touched me? Someone touched me in a manner that no one around me that's been, that's been crowding touched me. Someone touched me with faith that in this crowd there's been no one with faith. Someone touched me with a pure persuasion when I've been in a crowd that's been choked and suffocated with the cares of the world. And the only reason they were following Jesus because he was about to go do a miracle. Because the ruler of the synagogue, who was a very prominent ruler of the synagogue, the local, the local church, you can say, the Jewish, the Jewish church, the synagogue, the ruler, had just asked the master, so they're, they're after a, a, a spectacle. So here they have a Jewish ruler who represents the law is coming to the rabbi Jesus who's known to uh, be a little bit uh, of a rebel. And he's asking for help for his daughter who's the point of death. So this crowd is following a spectacle. The commotion is not because they actually believe in Jesus. It's because there's something going on in the air and we want to part here. We don't want to miss out. We don't want to miss out. We don't want to miss out. But God is not about that. God is about my heart being right with him. God is about a pure devotion towards him. God is about a heart of adoration that's fully persuaded. I'm following him because I know he's my answer. I'm following him because he's my only answer. And so... She received. And so what is the point of contact? Is our faith. Is the tangibility. There's no longer a, a, a vague, a vague understanding. Maybe I think so, but it's such an assurance that I know I have it. I know I have it. And this is the fight of faith. The fight of faith is a pure assurance that I have it because I believe in it. How do you know you have it? How do you know you have it? You believe. And nothing can budge me from that. And at that moment, my faith is budging everything. And I'm receiving from God that which I went to him for. That's powerful. To have an assurance to know. How do you know God hears you? Because I know. Because I know. Because the Bible says so. I know. How do you know he loves you? Because I know. Holy Spirit has persuaded my heart. And so now, when I commune with God, I'm receiving from God. His love and his supply and mercy in my life. Because
everything is according to the power that you have allowed to bring life to us. Let's go to Ephesians. Ephesians 3. We've looked at this verse before. This is the Apostle Paul writing. Very often quoted this verse. Now to him, regarding now to God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now to God who is able to do above what we ever think. And we will be, yes, that's God. God is God and God can do it all. Yes, amen. But look about that. Look, look what comes after that. According to the power that's working in you. So Paul is saying, give God glory because he can do it all. And yet he qualifies it according to the power that's working in you, according to the persuasion within you to believe him for it. <laughs> that word is dunamis. That word is actually both of them. Both of them. It's, it's actually when you break it down in the Greek language, it's putting it. So now to him who is able, that word able is to be possible, to have the power to do it, to have an ability to do it. And the root of it is the word dunamis that we've looked at before, which is the miracle working power. Because the miracle working power of God makes all things possible. So we can say he's got an ability to do the impossible. So the one who's got the ability to do the impossible, that is above what we can ask or think him of, because he's so grand and so massively amazing, and so, 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 so beyond our human comprehension. That power, that power of possibility, that power of ability is going to work in my life according to the power. That again is the same word, power. Although this time in the English word, it shows a power, but it goes back, if you trail it back, back to the root word of ability, miraculous power, dunamis, that's working in me. So his power will work according to the power that's working in me, according to that which I've allowed him to persuade me by. And so we go back to the drawing room, back to allow the word of God to persuade you. Allow the word of God to persuade you that you are now being kept as you, as you engage with his keeping power by believing him for it. There is a supernatural working that is far greater than what you can ask or think working for you because you've made a choice to trust him. I'll look at three more verses and we'll be done. So we're going to look at this uh, word, dunamis, um, according to the power that's working in us. Oh, I'll read the verse again. Now to him, to God, who's able, able, that word ability, possibility, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power, again, ability, endowment, miraculous power that's working in me. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And so when we allow <coughs> his power to work in me, because I believe him, it's bringing glory in the church. It's bringing glory to his name. But if we are crowding him out through the many cares of the world, of attending to the many, many matters, they're constantly wanting our attention. There's nothing wrong with attending to situations we are. 
to attend to life. Of course we are. We deal with it with moments. But we always deal with them through this divine persuasion. The divine persuasion of God lives in me now. And this persuasion is equipping me and giving me the wisdom to know what to do in any moment, at all times. So that then I'm allowing his power to come through as I believe him for it. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask of him according to the power that works in us. To that he is able. There's three more other references in the New Testament with that word able. One is in Acts 20, 32. Again, when I read those, keep in mind that his ability is dependent on my ability to believe it. Haha, I like that. His ability, his ability is dependent on my ability to believe him for it. So though he's the, 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 the supreme God and though he's the most high God, his ability to work in my life is dependent on that which I believe him for. The ability by which he keeps my sound mind, the ability by which he keeps my life together is to the degree I've allowed him to persuade me that he can do it for me. But if I feel like the crowds thronging him with many cares, I'm just following because it's a spectacle, because it's just everyone seems to be doing it. So let's just, it's just the right thing to go to church. Just go to church. Just go to church. Just go to church. It's the right thing to, without a persuasion of a connection, we are really bringing almost a disability to God. Can you imagine? So here we have Acts 20, 32. Uh, there are of, because of his grace, his grace is able to build us up and to give us an inheritance among those who are sanctified. That his grace is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance with those that are sanctified. Those that are called his children. But that word ability is able to work. That is working according to the power that's working in you. So if you're not believing him for it, it's a good time his hands, almost. Well, we are. Because though he's able to, we're just not going to him for that ability. The other one is Romans 16, 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, of course, this being established in life is so important. And there's nothing like God establishing you. There's nothing like God giving you a sound mind and a sound family and a sound home and a soundness in your life to be established, to be firm, to be a pillar, to be stable. God is able to do it. But again, according to the ability we've allowed them to work through us. And the, the other one is in Jude 1, 24. This is often quoted. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So the one who is able to keep you walking without the stumbling, without the falling down and picking yourself back up. The one who is giving you boldness to Go out there and do what he's called you to do. The one who's able to present you faultless before a holy God. His ability to present you faultless is dependent on the ability to believe him that you are faultless now. 
and the blood has cleansed us from every fault. And now we have a pure conscience. When we approach the pure God, we're just like that woman, fully dependent, fully persuaded that which I believe, I will have. That which I believe, I'm laying hold of it. That which I believe, I'm contending for because I have it. I'm not going to let it slip out of my hands. Be like a crowd flying around, not a choke by the many cares of the world. But I will still myself and I'll choose to believe him and give him the glory. Because when a life is lived unto God, a life of faith that's made contact with God, that is the ultimate testimony of the goodness of God on earth. When you see a life that's walking before you, it's lived unto God. With a pure persuasion on our pretense. We've seen many live a pretense. But that pure devotion brings God glory. Amen.